This episode of Inside EMS Podcast is sponsored by LogRx. Learn a better way to track your narcotics at LogRx.com. Well, it's that time of the week to go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Subalero, and with me always, and if you're watching on video, the man who combed his hair with a towel, Kelly Grayson. KG, what's going on with that do? <laughs> I I did comb my hair with a towel. It's it, it get kind of frozen like this from the pool, and I ran a comb through it, but you know the wind blowing and and it froze at at one point. So you know they got hats. Um, you it's can time to hat. get the hair cut again. That's what it is. Yeah. Oh, if you want to see, you want to see me with a hat, you know, I pull my hat off and it'll look even worse. Well, so, I'm just, I'm just uh, assuming you wore hair. Oh, it's not a hat hair. No, no, yeah, no. That's, 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 this is, this is, this is the wind blown look. Yeah. The wind tunnel tested hairdo. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Man. So, so the class, you, how's it going? You, you're messing with my hair. Of course, both of yours are perfectly in place. They are, man. And of course, I could wear my hat that you loved so much last week. <laughs> I'll be loaning you money at the end of the show, so we'll figure that out. Guido will be coming to see if you don't yeah. pay. That's right. Yeah. Nice little podcast you got here. It'd be a shame if something was to happen, happen to, it. to it. That's right. <laughs> How's the class going? It was it's good, man. We we covered heart blocks today and and well we covered heart blocks two or three days ago, then they're still not quite a few. A few still struggle. But hey, let's take that up then, know. right? So I think that when okay. we think about heart blocks, you know, certainly as we started to make the shift in a 12 lead EKG way back when. You know, we were in the yeah. field before 12 lead EKG came in and we had to learn it as we went. But it seems that heart blocks, you know, in in two in three lead as well as 12 lead always caused a challenge, right? And you know, as you yeah. get more advanced, Some people still the, struggle to differentiate them, yeah. Yeah. And even as you get advanced into the 12 leads, now you start to talk about bifascicular box, trifascicular blocks, you know, so on and so forth. But really just the regular heart yeah. blocks that we need to be able to try. And of course, type one, two type twos and a type three. How do you differentiate that? So Kelly Grayson, let me ask you this question. And you've been training yeah. EMTs and you've been training paramedics for a long time. What do you think is the biggest challenge with the understanding of heart blocks? I think the 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 prop the biggest challenge seems to be differentiating the ones the the various heart blocks from one another and understanding the concept that some things are not really blocked some things are merely delayed like a first degree block is isn't to my mind an actual block it's more like a delay since every every impulse eventually makes it through the AV node but when you mention and bifascicular blocks and hemifascicular blocks and and when you're when you're trying to get the concept of of a bundle branch block down that where one one side one ventricle depolarizes in normal fashion uh, in response to an atrial impulse and the other one depolarizes sympathetically and and that's the wider part of the QRS and and that sort of thing it starts to smoke starts to come out of their ears a little bit and we haven't even 
talk about the fact that the the left bottom branch has multiple fascicles and those can be blocked and as well further altering or, or or altering the QRS width less so than a full bundle branch block would be. But yeah, man, you're you're just getting too deep, man. One you're, of the, just, you're just confusing the heck out of me now. So No, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. But each to each to each thing there there is a season, you know. So there's there's a time for this. And that time is in an accelerated class, that time is coming up Thursday where we cover this in, in a little more detail. But one of the the things that, that I'm trying to make them understand is that there's not a drug for every single thing. And sometimes the drugs that we give for one arrhythmia cause another arrhythmias. I'm prone to calling those those drugs selective cardiotoxins. I'm not a real big fan of, of just willy-nilly administering emergency antiarrhythmics to people. I tell them the thing, drugs like amiodarone and lidocaine and procainamide and, and the sort are kind of like chemotherapy. They kill the tumor just a little bit faster than they kill the patient. And, and the same is true of, of conduction problems. And one of the things that kind of blew my mind early on when I was a fairly new paramedic and I read Tegman's Advanced Cardiology in plain English and a couple of other texts that talked about how antiarrhythmics, particularly sodium channel blockers, actually work and how and the way they work is, is they basically induce delayed conduction and make the refractory the ventricles refractory for longer which is bad juju if you're given to someone with underlying conduction disturbances you can promote complete heart block you know so getting them to understand that concept that that some of the drugs that we give are sometimes cause as many problems as they solve is is something that's slow in building but they're starting to see my my point in that I'm a big fan of Edison medicine, you know, when it's really, really fast or when it's really, really slow and it really needs you to fix it right now. The best choice is usually electricity. So we've been, we've been kind of going through the heart blocks today and, and, and getting them well-versed and that sort of thing and telling them what type of heart blocks might actually respond to a medication versus not. And, uh, well, let's go ahead and they're let's getting take there. A, they're let's getting take there. this. Let's take it back a couple of steps then. Okay. So let's talk about the heart blocks that we're going to find in a regular, just a regular EKG, right? So just a little uh -huh. bit of the anatomy as we think about this. The SA node, which sits at the top of the heart, is the primary pacemaker of the heart, which has an intrinsic rate of 60 to 100 beats per minute. Yep. So as that signal fires off from the SA node, it, it goes to the AV junction. And... Yeah. It's almost like the electric slide, right? And that's how I used to talk about it in class. So when you think about that, when you think about the SA yeah. node firing, that's going to cause the P wave to happen. And then as the signal yeah. moves to the AV junction, that's going to be the PR interval, right? So that's kind of the electric slide. Yeah. It, it's a toll booth. And actually, it has to stop to allow the atria to fire to depolarize the atria, send the blood into the ventricles, because if it was automatic, the blood wouldn't be in the ventricles. So there has to be that pause. So you think it of the AV junction. Yeah, you yeah. have to. So you think of that AV junction almost as a yeah, toll booth. To... We got to stop. We don't have our money. We got to go into our pocket. Yeah. We got to throw it into the bin. There's your pause. And then as it goes into the ventricles, it actually goes down two pathways. So it now depolarizes one side of the yeah. ventricles, 
depolarizes the other side of the ventricles, okay? Now, anytime, and the intrinsic rate of the AV junction is, is 40 to 60 beats per minute, right? No, it's not right. <laughs> it's 60 to 100, 40 to 60, yeah. And then the ventricles... Yeah, AV junction is 40 to 60. Right. Then the yeah. ventricles have their own intrinsic rate of 20 to 40 beats per minute. So if any time an mm -hmm. electrical impulse fails... The backup is, okay, the SA node didn't fire. It's waiting. What the heck's going on? Where's that Where's that signal from the from the SA node? It's not coming. We better do something here, guys. This is our time. Go ahead and fire. Boom. Well, if that happens, yeah. what's going to be missing from the EKG? If the SA node doesn't fire, what happens? And what, we, what do we not see on an EKG? You don't see a P wave. Or yeah. you see a P wave that is inverted because it was depolarized from below or absent altogether but it's usually there but it's but it's, it's often the, covered it's by the QRS complex yeah. or or what really bakes their noodle is when they discover an inverted p wave in the st segment because the the atria wound up getting depolarized after the ventricles did and so, they're so, starting to grasp that concept but go ahead but let's touch on that really quick because I think you bring up a good point. So when you have the AV junction fire in lieu of the SA node, it still sends the signal to the atria, right? Because something has to make the atria yeah. depolarize. So now you get, instead of the signal going down, which gives you the upward inflection, it's now going up, which gives you the inverted or the downward deflection, right? Mm -hmm. So this Travels is where toward the, the blocks... negative electrode gives you a negative wave. Exactly. Yeah. So this is where now all the blocks are starting to happen. And as Kelly was talking about hemi blocks and bifascicular blocks and trifascicular blocks, and as that electrical signal now goes down the two ventricular pathways, what if one of those are blocked? How does that work out? And this is where this gets into this. And now let's pause for a word from our sponsor. Designed and founded by EMS professionals, LogRx provides real-time accountability of all your narcotics, from cradle to grave. Reach out today for a demo and download the app on the iTunes and Google Play stores. And coming soon, LogRx will also track your medical supplies, equipment, PPE, and even vehicle checks. For more information, visit LogRx.com. That's L-O-G-R-X.com. So, Kelly, I, I want to ask you this. So... And hopefully I was able to clear it up a little bit. I think yeah. you got a little bit too deep, too fast. And sometimes I have to use my Kelly Grayson meter to, to all the smells have to. So I, I have a can of fab, uh, room deodorizer for all the smell that oh, I thought Kelly you puts like, like sprayed it on me like a, like a, like a cat that's no, playing no, with the house plants or whatever. <laughs> but I want to talk about, let's get into a little bit of this treatment now, right? Because there are different treatment pathways that you would want to take for a hot heart block. And of course, it's mm -hmm. always treat the patient, don't treat your monitor. Yeah. But when you think about this, let's just think about some of this, you know, if we think about maybe an, an SA node is blocked or an AV node has to fire, or if we think about treatment, what kind of treatments do we want to look for for heart blocks? Well, you know, the traditionally the the treatment has always been for bradycardia caused by heart block and, and the treatment, you know, traditionally has been atropine and it still persists in the ACLS algorithms even now, although they're teaching one milligram of atropine for symptomatic bradycardia. Whereas uh, I remember the days when we gave 0.5 and, and went up if, if necessary. 
getting them to understand the concept that not everything is going to respond to atropine uh, and why is is one of the the big hurdles and and when you explain that that uh, parasympathetic innervation of the heart uh, is not extensive throughout all of the myocardium it's it's more concentrated in the supraventricular tissue than it is in ventricular although it's it's a misnomer to to think that that the ventricles have no parasympathetic innervation um you know when 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 atropine is not going to be effective. And this is something that that I wasn't really appreciative of until, you know, several years in my, my paramedic career when I was introduced to the concept of an infranodal block, where you can have an AB block in a certain part of the conduction system, high up or low down, a, a low, when we talk about infranodal blocks, we're like deep in the AV nodal tissue at or below the bundle of his that those blocks do not tend to respond well to atropine and and to make the under, the students understand that a third degree block with say a junctional escape pacemaker behaves a little differently than a third degree block with a ventricular pacemaker and maybe that that one with the junctional pacer may actually respond to atropine the question is should you get it to respond to atropine and and this is another one of those things and I forget the name of the the mechanism, and and I'm sure you're familiar with it, but I can't ever remember the name. It's a cardioprotective mechanism that you often see that induces bradycardia in in some MIs, and and it's thought to be cardioprotective. Darn if I can remember the the name of it, but it's it's a kind of a reflex. It slows down the heart rate, and you know. If you got a patient who is who is having a, a high degree AV block because of a STEMI, or not say STEMI, because of an occlusive MI, which the uh, current terminology is, and you want to raise their heart rate, why do you want to raise their heart rate? Do you want to raise their heart raise their heart rate to make you feel better because you're just scared to death at looking at a heart rate of thirty uh, or forty, or do you do you want to raise their heart rate because it's therapeutic for them and and that's the the key. You, a lot of people will see a, a high degree heart block and go, oh my God, heart block, rate of 40, oh, that needs to be paced or that needs to be given atropine, but it's perfusing the patient well. And if it's perfusing the patient well, and it's getting blood to all their vital organs, particularly their brain, so that they can talk to you. And and even if the, the rate is kind of ugly and the patient is having an MI, is it really beneficial to the patient to raise their heart rate or is that going to raise their myocardial workload and their oxygen demand so hence explaining my preference for transcutaneous pacing when and if 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 needed and and i taught them the that the best way to make an arrhythmia go away is to be prepared for the arrhythmia <laughs> you know you've been doing this long enough that if you want to make sure that vtac never appears or that, that a, a block never appears just have your pacing pads ready or your defib pads ready and it'll never show up. It's only the only thing that works better at making arrhythmias disappear is holding your finger about that far from the print button on the monitor. <laughs> Guaranteed nothing cool happens then. But we had a we had a few students today that would just went straight to transcutaneous pacing. And I kind of like that that they were they were obviously listening to me when I told them that high degree A B blocks probably are, are, are going to lend themselves toward pacing rather than atrophy, but I didn't want them to do it reflexively, you know, and they were still memorizing information 
and regurgitating it because they thought that's what their instructor wanted rather than than what was necessarily best for the patient and applying some critical thinking to it. So I gave them some scenarios where the patient had a heart block but was relatively stable, even though the rate wasn't something pretty to look at. And what should you do for this guy? And and thankfully, some of them actually were like, we're going to take a wait and see approach and we're going to put the pacing pads on and we're going to set the the get the pacer ready, but we're not going to do it yet. And and that sort of thing. And and I was gratified to see that. Some of them still conceptually can't get can't quite get the concept of the A V blocks now, although I gave them the A V block cheat sheet. You know, you've you've seen that when the the three questions you ask. Are there more P's and QRSs? Right, if right. the answer is no, then you're not looking at a high degree A V block. If the answer is yes, the next question is, is the PR interval fixed? If so, you're looking at a second degree type two. And if the answer is no, then if the PR interval is variable, then the only, the the question left is, is the rhythm regular? Regular rhythms are by and large third degree blocks and irregular rhythms, grouped beats are second degree type one. And they kind of got that. But the really, the thing, Chris, that really seems to drive it home is my explanation of the, the, the marital spat. If you read the Nancy Carroll book back in the day she talked about sydney sinus and virginia ventricle and and av node abe and and all this some of us savor to this and and i i t- explain the concept or, or the pattern recognition of av blocks as a marital spat because one thing i've learned is an ems educator over the years if you want to make people remember something you put it in terms of food or sex and and that of of the tale of the marital spat and how Sydney Sinus and Virginia Ventricle are happily married couple. And if you want to hear more about that, it's the R-rated version. You have to go to my blog. Uh, <laughs> Sex relationships and the cardiac conduction system is the name of the post. If I, got, I, if I explain it my, here, where's my air? <laughs> we'll get an R rating for sure. I need my air freshener again. Put... <laughs> you know, so, so it I think works, and and, yeah. and that's sort of you know it, conceptually they get it that way. Let me ask you this. I mean, so I think that was a good breakdown, but let me ask you this question. I I mean, we talk about AV blocks Mm -hmm. and then we talk about third degree blocks. I mean, so we know that as we talked about earlier, we have the SA node that fires. We have the electric slide that pays the toll at the AV junction. Uh (laughs) So you've, you've heard that analogy as well. Yeah. So then what analogy? The, 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 that was that was from one of the old Nancy Carolina emergency care in the streets. I think she was the <laughs> one that originally put that in her books. The paying the toll and and that sort of thing. Oh, I made that up. I didn't read that anywhere. But anyway, uh, if we okay. think about a if we think about That's a first degree, buried in your subconscious, if we think about a first degree heart block, right? So first degree heart block is going to be the normal PR interval should be point twelve to point twenty seconds. Yeah. Anything more than that is, and then you have a QRS segment is a first degree heart block. So as long as it's consistent, so we have a P wave, we have 0.22.22.22. That's a first degree heart block, normal QRS, normal QRS, Mm -hmm. normal QRS. Now, if we go to type two and a winky buck, we have a prolonged, we have a constant PR interval. But what happens is one of the one of the QRS segments or multiple QRS segments will be missing. 
So what happens is SA node fires. Oh, well, well, you, 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 you got, you got twisted. You got it all twisted up in the game. Cause you said PR interval, but with Wikibok, it's progressively lengthening. So <laughs> sucker, where's my bottle of air freshener? Did I say the constant? All right, man. Well, I'm glad you're there. You're my you're my safety net. You, you just realized what you said. So the PR interval gets longer, progressively longer. <laughs> so the PR interval is 0 0.12, 0 mm -hmm. 0.16, 0 0.20, and then you have a missed yeah. QRS segment. It drops. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and that could be multiple QRS segments. And then a type two yeah. is constant. And then you have a drop. Yeah. Beat. But Kelly, here's what I want to give an explanation about, because this is what really I think gives students and really maybe even the incumbent paramedics a little bit of challenge. How do you differentiate a type three complete heart block? Why is that cause so much? I mean, I think the AV big challenge is AV dissociation. Exactly. So how how do you how do you, you figure know? that out? How do you make that work out? A, 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 the, the wise old EKG Yoda that taught me my EKGs in paramedic school low so many years ago, she's probably dead now, but, but her name was Inez Kernick and, and Inez was a big fan of mapping out intervals with a piece of paper. She would lay, lay a, a piece of paper over your EKG strip and mark what you think is a P wave and go back left and mark the the very next thing that you think is a p wave and then see if those two hash marks are consistent across the strip and she will she she said look in in a third degree heart block it's usually a very bradycardic very regular rhythm and it is very regular in its own way but the av node or the the atrial activity and the ventricular activity have nothing to do with one another and when you say that the pr interval is is variable in that that's actually a little misleading because there is no PR interval. There is no relationship. You have a regular P to P interval and you have a regular R to R interval, but they are, they are totally dissociated. They have nothing to do with one another. Yeah, meaning there's no relationship, no relationship. Because none of the impulses uh, or the atria have made it through the AV node to the, to the uh, lower half of the heart. So something has to pick up the pacing function of the heart and that will either be the cells of the AV junction, which will form a, a narrow QRS, or the cells of the Purkinje system, which is going to form a wide, tricular-looking QRS. And and recognizing that that sort of relationship is key in, in recognizing a, a complete heart block, as, as it's sometimes called. Those are ominous. That's a problem that needs to be dealt with right away, usually with transcutaneous pacing. You know, some of the old books said that that giving atropine to third degree heart block may increase the the rate the, or increase the degree of the block. I don't think that's so much true in, in that it it increases it may increase the sinus rate. So you may actually see what is a say a second degree type two block uh, become uh, with two to one conduction may become three to one conduction now. But it doesn't actually make the block slower. All you're doing is just speeding up the SA node, and whatever the escape pacemaker is, it's just rocking right along at the same old rate. So it may look like you know it's it's a higher conduction ratio than than it was before, but it really hasn't done anything to make objectively make things worse. Uh, 
And once again, uh, I'm a big fan of pacing. If I think the patient's heart rate, it would be therapeutic for the patient's heart rate to be at 70. With the pacemaker, I can make it at 70. I don't have any guarantee that atropine is not going to get way back then. I don't even know if they talk about this, about block acceleration dissociation phenomenon, but which is a complete heart block, but higher up that it has a, a an accelerated escape pacemaker, usually a junctional pacer. So, yeah. And some of those, one of the you, things you can speed them up and, and increases the workload. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that we're talking about here is pacing. And I, I don't think that that's two things that we do very well in EMS. Paramedics don't pace and paramedics don't cardiovert. And one of the things that you've got to be able to remember is that when those patients need both, do not hold that back. But because we're not doing it as often, we may, may not be as comfortable with that. But we're going to see people who are in third degree heart block and we're going to have to pace them. We are going to see people in, you know, an accelerated tachycardia. We're going to need or SVT. We're going to need to cardiovert them. But Kelly, give you final thoughts here and then get yep. us up on out of here for next week. I'm going to I'm going to expand on what you just said before I, I let folks go is that when you have a hemoglobin dynamically unstable rate fast or slow when you have a your patient is hemodynamically unstable because of their rate that is treated with Edison medicine and you don't need to hesitate to do that uh if it is unstable uh tachycardia synchronized cardiovert if it is unstable bradycardia transcutaneous pace it but if it's not unstable and you're not doing it medicine maybe the best is diesel fuel and a whole lot of vigilance and and maybe the antiarrhythmics that we continually we're prone to give may be less problematic than than the electricity that we're scared of but that's my thoughts i'd like to hear your thoughts tell us what you think how do your what's your personal approach to treating tachyarrhythmias or brady arrhythmias are you a fan of edison medicine or would you rather give them some adenosine or some atropine or some amiodarone on the noah's art drug we want to hear your thoughts and how you practice at the show at ems1.com and for myself and co-host chris sabalero thanks for tuning in to inside ems we're going to catch you guys next week